I want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Healthy Fruitful Faith from the book of Titus. And today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Step Into the Gospel Gap. Let's open our Bibles together. Gospel scams. You ever been scammed? You ever been called by somebody and they want your information? And like nowadays, when I get a call on my cell phone, if I don't recognize the number, I don't even answer the phone anymore. Because I don't, I'm not sure if it's a scam or not, but I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to give information. Like if you, somebody calls me, I'm even, even someplace I trust and I go and they want my email. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to be scammed. The problem is that sometimes the gospel can be scammed and turned into something it's not and abused and twisted and used to try to rob people of the gospel impact. This is something we need to do if we're going to minister to other people and care for them. We need to see the gospel gap. If you're going to address a scam in somebody else's life, now a scam is very simply this. It's Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus additional things. You got to do this, or you got to you got to worship like this, or it's Jesus plus something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we live in the joy of the fact that it's Jesus only Jesus. That everything I need in salvation, everything I need to have eternal life, is found in Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone. But here, these members of the circumcision party were infiltrating these house churches with gospel scams. Think about what gospel scammers bring. Verses 10 and 11, they bring gospel confusion. I hope that more the longer you're at Vertical Church, you get more clear on what the gospel is, more clear on theology, more clear on your understanding of scripture. They were doing the opposite. They were confusing people and twisting their understanding of what Paul had shared with them. Second of all, gospel scammers bring gospel distractions. Then gospel mixing. We get gospel distractions. We get talking about other things instead of the main thing, which is the gospel. Then it becomes gospel mixing. Well, a little bit of this tradition and a little bit of that and and. Just being blunt here, a lot of the Catholic faith is a lot of gospel mixing, if you go back to the origins. Then gospel disconnect. This is the most painful one. Look all the way down to verse 16. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They profess this. They do this. There's a disconnect. Listen, God's heart for us, I believe this morning, if we are to be his ministers, if we are to learn to be like Titus and step into a gospel gap, we need to be people that learn to see, learn to see the gospel gap. I uh, have gone to a lot of cross-country races over time, and one thing I've always noticed is there's the very last part of the race where they run down this straightway and everybody's there and cheering and loud and they're, they can see the finish line. But often the quietest place is the section right before that. Because everybody that's at the end wants to see the finish. And I remember I was walking out. I went into that little area that was kind of quiet before they come around to bend and I was looking to encourage uh, my son and I noticed this quiet little guy that was on their team. I mean, that guy, I think when he screamed, got up to a whimper. 
was the sweetest little guy. I think he was in junior high. And he had noticed that there was a gap and he had put himself out there and he would say, come on, so-and-so. In fact, I, would be, I was right behind him because I don't know all the names. So I thought if I get down, he would go, come on, Mike. And I'd be like, come on, Mike. You know, and I knew the whole team with his help, okay? But here's the thing. He stepped into a gap. He saw that there was a gap where those runners who are exhausted at this point, you know, they get that last burst when they come around the corner because I can see the finish line if I just put everything in, it's my last shot. And he saw it's the gap right before that where the runners are dragging that he'd sought to inspire them. God help us to be the people that step into the gap of where people need encouragement. That's what... Titus is doing here where maybe you're asking the question well how do I do that pastor what kind of person do I need to be to address that gospel gap I want to take us back to verse 6 verse 6 says if anyone is above reproach the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, what Paul had taught, what Scripture taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict. Now, the interesting thing is these four verses are the perfect contrast to verse 16, which talks about people who claim one thing and live differently. You see that? God wants the elders, the leaders of his church, to be people who live faithful with the gospel, who live consistent with the gospel, and whose lives give contrast to those who are living gospel scams. And maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, I'm never going to be an elder. I don't aspire to be the elder, or I'm not in a position to be an elder for various reasons. I want you to hear this very carefully. I believe that these four verses are absolutely the expectation for elders. There should be no elder in our church that does not meet these characteristics. However, these characteristics should be the aspiration of all believers. Every believer who's reading this section, in fact, this is why elders are in the role they're in, to model to other believers, this is what you should be. Now, no elder is perfect, no, perfect, no elder is sinless, but every elder should be someone that everyone else in the church say, if I was like that person, I was growing like that person, I'd be in a good trajectory. But here, that's the thing. Do you aspire to being someone who can be someone that can step into the gospel Gap. In fact, write this down. God wants you to be a gospel gap influencer. God wants every one of us to be individuals who can step into gospel gaps, whose personal character is such that people see how Jesus has changed our lives. I'm not going to preach in depth about roles. I believe that God right here in the text calls men uh, to this particular role. I think we also should keep in mind Uh, When uh, this was written, men who stepped up into this role are often the first ones persecuted, the first ones thrown in jail, and the first ones killed. This was not like, oh, wow, I get to be an elder. It was, I love Jesus. I'll take this role. Let me look at three areas really quickly as we're trying to absorb how we can aspire to live out these gospel characteristics. 
there's really three categories. Verse 6 talks about family stewardship. Verses 7 and 8 talk about personal character. Verse 9 talks about gospel capable. First, family stewardship. What should that mean to us? Well, this means being faithful in the first things. Before a man should step into an elder role and steward the house of God, that is the family of God, he first should be good in the first things, which is his own home. Now, that's not something you necessarily teach you at seminary, but it's something I've learned along the way and something I'm growing in. I want my ministry here to increasingly flow out of what's going on at home. If I can't steward my family well, if I can't love them, if I can't disciple them, if I can't lead them to God's word, what should I be doing here on Sunday morning? I shouldn't. Let me go to the second area, personal character. This is faithfulness not in the first things, but faithfulness in the hidden things. You know, it says here that a person should not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent. Now, those are public realities. But not many of us who struggle with sin put it on TV or Twitter. I don't usually see people on social media on Facebook or I don't have access to Instagram, but my wife's on there. Most people don't put their other foot forward, right? They put their best foot forward. Most of the time, it's the sinful things, the angry things we say, the unkindness, the secret sins, the, those are all in secret. An elder, and all of us are called to aspire to being faithful in the hidden things. If someone could see your life behind the scenes, would they be more convinced of the gospel or more convinced of your hypocrisy? All of us have areas that we're working on and probably there's some people in this room that have some things that they're hiding. I would encourage you, this is a place, a meaningful place of grace where we want you to feel free to bring those to the surface, deal with them, let them be healed by the gospel. Listen, Jesus forgives everything. There's nothing you could come in here and be like, well, I can't tell them about that because Jesus can't touch, that's a gospel scam. Jesus can touch everything. Jesus can heal everything but you have to be willing to bring it to the light and get to a place of healing so that then you can continue to live a gospel-consistent life. This is Pastor Luke Aarons. Maybe you've been listening to Meeting with God and wondering, how can I embrace the gift of salvation and follow Jesus Christ? Or I have some questions about Jesus and the journey of faith. We would love to answer any questions you may have or help you in taking the next step of faith. Let me encourage you to visit our church website, verticalchurch.life, or visit one of our weekend services in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Here's the third area. Faithful in the first things, faithful in the hidden things, faithful in the commitment to God's word by faithfully studying it and applying it in your own life and the ability to apply it in the lives of others. Gospel capable. I want to stop back for a second. Why is it so important for us to grow in these areas? But I'm going to think in particular about family stewardship. Often we have a desire to be used by God to be able to step up and do something significant for the gospel. But here's the problem. We don't have the hidden things, the first things handled well. Scripture talks in other places, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. God is always looking for the people who are faithful in little. Because he knows if they're faithful and little, where there's no, you know, Facebook post about their awesomeness all the time, if they're willing to live consistent in the small things, I can give them more things because they'll be able to handle it in humility. 
I want to draw your attention to one thing. I think this is an important bit of information here. Verse 6 says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are, this is a very key word, believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, there's, I just want to let you know, uh, academically, there's some debate on that word pistos uh, or believers. And if you notice, if you have an ESV Bible, there's a little footnote to the bottom, or it can mean faithful. Children who are believers or children who are faithful. Now, to my knowledge, all four of my children are believers. But that's not, I believe, what this text is talking about in the Greek. What it's talking about is children, if a, if a you can go to, again, go to 1 Timothy 3, uh, the kind of comparable passage which used some of the great, same Greek words. What it's talking about is an elder, a leader in the church, needs to be in a place where his children are not running around, especially those in his own house, are not running around doing crazy debauchery, that sensuality, living for themselves, partying it up, living a disaster. If they're living in his home, he needs to have them in a place where he's discipling them and disciplining them to live faithful lives, not insubordinate, not doing whatever they want, not, you know, sticking their nose up at their dad. He needs to lead a family that is faithful. He needs to have children that are faithful. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, first off, I believe that that's an important discussion. If you'd like the academics behind it, I'm not going to go into all that right now, but I believe that it's consistent with God's word. Here's the thing that God wants for elders, and really, all of us should aspire to this, fathers in particular. Elders are responsible for parental stewardship, not for their children's faith choices. What is the example of this in Scripture? If you go back to the Old Testament, Eli. Do you remember Eli the high priest? And God spoke to him and said, you need to address your sons. Your sons are doing all manner of debauchery. And Eli was unwilling to deal with it. And so God not only dealt with the sons, but also with the father. Now in God's house, God's family, God wants leaders who are faithful in discipling their kids. Now I want to dig down here for just a moment. As a pastor, I have a front seat to parenting, not only in my own life, but in the lives of others. And I often see parents in different ways over time who end up in one of three places. One is what I'll call gospel parenting. The other one is what I'll call on this side of this ditch, I often preach this, you've heard me say this, that there's on the road and then there's a ditch on this side and a ditch on that side. The ditch over here is what I'll call hands-off parenting. Well, you know, my children's faith choices, that's all them. And, you know, I'm not going to try to push them to have my faith. I'm just going to kind of let them figure it on their own. I can't say words like Paul could say, but I would light that up like a Christmas tree. If you don't care about where your kid's faith trajectory is, God help you. Now, in the other ditch is the parent who says, you are going to love Jesus like me. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the parent that tries to control their child. No, you are not going to have a faith of your own. You are going to have my faith. You are going to love Jesus like me. That's the other ditch. Now, maybe you find yourself in one of those. I found myself occasionally in dipping into one of those. Here's what the on the road answer is to parents. I believe that God calls 
us to gospel parenting, which is influencing our children toward gospel ownership. Okay? You can't make a decision for your child as to whether they'll follow Jesus or not. God needs to do that. You can't make them a believer. But you can also let them just go do their own thing. And that Deuteronomy 6 calls you to influence and disciple your children to the greatest extent that you can. They should know God's word. They should know what God's word says about sin and about grace. About what Jesus has done for them. That is the call of not just elders who are stewarding their families but of every one of us. And I believe that you will find that to be the satisfying, disciple-making, parenting role that God calls you to. Now, let me just say this. Look up here for a minute. Maybe you're a parent who has been living in one of these two ditches. I don't want to just speak judgment or sharp truth, although Paul says here to rebuke them sharply, and I think you heard a little bit of a rebuke sharply on this end. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you feel the weight of the fact that you didn't disciple your kids the right way, either you tried to force them to be believers and then they rebelled and like, get out, I'm going to do it my own way. Or you totally let them go in the ditch on their own and you grieve the fact that you didn't disciple them. Listen, I want you to know this. There's no perfect parents. And God will forgive you if you will humble yourself and acknowledge to him that you did not parent the way you should. Every parent, myself included, has to get on our faces from time to time and say, God, I'm failing in this. But God calls you to first acknowledge that you've messed up, but then he wants to meet you in your failed parenting and help you to disciple your kids on a level that maybe you've never thought you could. And maybe your kids are up and gone and they're living somewhere else and you're like, God, I can't even do anything. It's too late now. It's not too late. The greatest gift you can give your kids at any stage in their development is a parent who is on his or her knees day and sometimes night before the throne of God on behalf of your child. Because in the end, and I tell this in our student ministry, our goal in student ministry is to disciple students toward ownership. That's why you see some students on our stage. That's why you see them doing other activities because that's why they're serving in children's ministry because I want students in our church to not just go to church because mom and dad tell them. My heart for your student and my kids as well who are sitting right here is that they would own faith on their own and they would own it. I don't want them to have my faith. I don't want them living on my faith. I want them inspired by my faith sometimes, but I want them to have a faith of their own that they will grow with and serve Jesus Christ with. So cry out to God. Ask him to work. Don't leave yourself in a ditch of despair, but ask God to work, and I'd love to pray with you in that. Let's go to the last part here. Maybe you look at this list and you're like, I could never do it. Pastor, I could never be a person like this with family stewardship and personal character and gospel capable. I could never do that. Let me encourage you to get a coach. Get someone who can encourage you. I was sitting at a, um, again, I've been to a lot of cross-country meets. And I remember I was sitting at one of the cross-country meets, and um, some of those cross-country coaches, I don't know if we have any in this room, y'all are pretty intense. Eh, I'm going to say more than intense, borderline psycho. Okay? And uh, thankfully, our coach, Coach Bell, is such a disciple maker who has so influenced my boys in a positive way. But I see some of these psycho coaches. I'm just going to call it what it is, okay? And as their kid who's running by, who's run as hard as he can for two miles and is dying, they'll turn and go, come on, man, get on it, get on it, get on it. And they're like screaming at him. I'm like, do you see that guy's about to die? Okay. And they're yelling things like, come on, dig a little deeper. Uh, you know, no, pick it up, pick it up. Come on, catch that guy in front of you, catch that guy in front of you. And the, 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 the sarcastic 
after I got over that, at the sarcastic part of me started to think, what if, what if we shepherded like that? What if pastors pastored like that? So we're like, is he serious? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what if I got in your face every being like, come on, man, come on, pick it up, pick it up. Come on, whoa, why, why did you have Ephesians 2 memorized right now, man? You can do this, you can do it, you can do it. What if, what if you got to small group and you're talking about, you know, your marriage or something and uh, your small group leader gets up and goes, come on, Bill, come on, Bill. You're better than that, you're better than that. Come on, catch that guy in front of you. Come on, see, this guy, he's got great date nights for his wife. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> Wendy's, really, really? <laughs> or you walk into church and you're grabbing a cup of coffee. You know, somebody walks over to you. Come on, man, you've been working for Christ. You're a greeter. You're a great greeter. I know, we all get it. But come on, man, you got to get on some more things here. Come on, come on, catch that guy in front of you. Come on, look, 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 a bit. look at Bob over here, man. He's doing three things for Jesus. And we, you're doing what? You know? Now, praise Jesus, we don't disciple like that here, okay? But we do need coaches. I could read Hebrews 10. You can read this on your own. God calls us to put people around us that encourage us and sometimes sometimes are willing to rebuke us in the gospel because of their desire to see us be better, to see us step up and become stronger believers. Here's the last thing I want to ask you to do this morning, right out of the text, is to bring the gospel into the gap. We can realize where we're positioned. We can see the gospel gap that God wants us to step into. We can become the influencer he wants us to be. But in the end, it's not about you. I love what Paul Tripp said. He said, your call is not to be the agent of change, but a tool in the hands of the one who changes hearts. The measure of your potential is your savior. Surrendering to God allows very ordinary people to do extraordinarily restorative things. You know, as I look at verse nine, he says that the elder must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict. In fact, he told Titus himself to do that in verse 13. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Listen, God's heart for you is to be willing to be a gospel gap person who not only comes to the gap before the Lord and tries to help other people in their areas of need, but you be someone that brings the gospel into the gap. You sometimes we can identify needs in someone's life. Like, man, you need to change that now. Like I'm getting my cross-country coach back on. Um, that's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to be the type of person who has a, an ability to be redemptively encouraging or redemptively rebuking. Okay? And when we rebuke, I've, I've had to grow in this. My wife has been such a help to me in this. Often in my parenting, I, was a, I got the rebuke thing going. But there wasn't a lot of redemptive in the rebuke. And Paul told Timothy, listen, you need to rebuke them. He didn't just stop there, though. He said, I want you to rebuke them toward a healthy, sound faith. Listen, genuine rebuking, genuine being in the gap draws people, draws people back to who they are in Jesus Christ or to Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Maybe it's somebody at work and you see a gospel gap in their life. Maybe it's in your own life or your own family. And God's putting somebody in your mind and you need to call them this afternoon or call them this week and say, hey, let's talk about something. I want to encourage you in something or I even might need to rebuke you or kind of point you to Jesus in something. Now, sometimes we step back and we're like, yeah, that's for pastors to do. I was thinking of a time recently, my wife told me this. 
I wasn't there to witness it. But um, I don't know what we did the night before. Maybe we must have gone out to dinner or something like that. But she was serving breakfast to my daughter. And uh, she brought some, some food over and put it in front of her for breakfast. And uh, my beautiful little spunky daughter turned up and looked at mom and said, Yeah, I don't think I ordered that. <laughs> my kids aren't perfect either. Here's the thing. Sometimes where God puts you in positions you like Titus was positioned, sometimes we have that same attitude. You know what? You know what, God, I didn't order this opportunity. I'm not really interested to step into that gap. It's going to cost me personal capital. It's going to be a hard situation. I'm going to have to pray hard. I'm going to, it's going to be messy maybe. Listen, God wants to use you just like you want to use Titus. I'm going to ask you, who is it in your life that you're thinking about right now that God wants you step into that gap. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio, located at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Meeting with God is a listener-supported ministry which strives to share the good news of Jesus Christ each day. Our prayer is that this radio program will lift people's eyes and hearts to our Savior, Jesus. If you would like to be a part of the Meeting with God team of financial donors who make this ministry possible, please visit our website, verticalchurch.life. We are thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And as always, we hope to meet you back here at the very same time tomorrow for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.